Well, it was uh, 30 years ago, which is hard for me to even grasp. 30 years ago that I was 15 years old and a sophomore or junior on the Kaiser High Tornado football team. Now, let me just put it in perspective, okay? I graduated from high school, six foot, zero inches, 135 pounds, okay? So that was 50 pounds ago, and I'm no taller. So I was very, very um, slim, we'll say that. Now, this was my junior year, so I was probably 5 foot 11, 125 pounds, okay? And I was playing defensive end on the third string or maybe second string defensive squad, okay? And the first string was preparing for a game that they were going to play that weekend. Now, we had a guy who was a freak of nature, all right? I mean, when we were in middle school, like 6th, 7th grade, you know, he was shaving, okay? His name was Rick, and he was a monster of a football player. He was one of these guys that before the game would stand there in the locker room, you know, hitting himself in the head, and the rest of us are like, what is wrong with him? You know, and just, you know he just was intense, intense. They had this play that they ran. I think it was called a power sweep. Okay, I believe is what we call it. Here's what happened. Rick was fullback. Okay, now if you don't you don't know much about football, that's okay. All right, but but here's my lineman. Okay, right here in front of me. All right, I'm on the offensive squad. I'm going that way. Okay, and Rick is the fullback, and we're running a power sweep. Now, as I, the football coach is in the room, just you know, if I don't have this right, just forgive me and just just let me go. Okay, so the idea is they're going to try to run the ball around that side. All right. And so Rick, the great big fullback, you know, I mean, I'm six foot, 135 pounds. He's like six four, like 235 pounds, okay? Great big monster of a man. And he comes around the edge here, and as I recall, the guy behind him is carrying the football, but he's leading the way as the fullback to block. Okay, you got the picture? And he comes around the corner, and there's a guy there who's playing defensive end. And Rick's job is to knock him in the next week, okay? He's to take him out so he can't make the tackle with the guy behind him. Well, the offense is running this play, okay? They're getting ready for the Friday night game where they're going to do this. And, and so what do they do? They put a second squad, you know, defensive team up there. And we're going to simulate what it would be like if you had a real defense against you. We weren't a real defense, but we'll just act like it, Okay? And so I'm now playing that defensive end. I'm out there, okay? I know the play. I know what's going to happen. When I'm sitting on the bench listening to them talk to Rick about what he's supposed to do, I can understand it. I may not be real, you know, athletic, but I've got a little bit of brains. I understand what happens to that guy. He gets blasted by Rick every single time. Especially if he's second string. He's really getting blasted. Now, let me say this about me then. I was a lot smaller in statue, stature, that is, but I was also smaller in my person. You see, I didn't understand at that time in my life what it meant to sacrifice for something bigger than myself. I didn't understand that then. I was a punk kid, okay? I didn't have a coach that taught me. I didn't, I, didn't have, I didn't have some you know, father figure that spoke these words to me and told me what it meant to, to sacrifice for a bigger picture. I didn't have that. So all I could think about was myself. 
all I could really put my attention on was me and my immediate needs. I was consumed with myself and everything that I wanted. I was consumed with having what I wanted and avoiding any kind of sacrifice. That's just who I was. And on that day, it was going to reveal itself on a football field. Because that's the way life works, see. Out there in the world, when you're living out life, who we are is revealed. Who we are is revealed. So there I was, okay? Get back on the practice field now. I'm that guy on the end, all right? And now here comes Rick. Like a bull. I'm telling you, this guy was just amazing. Ask Glenn. He played against him. This guy was a beast. And he comes running around the corner, okay? And there I stand. I'm like, you know, my little knobbly knees are clinking together, 135 pounds. I'm supposed to take him on. He comes running at me. And you know what I did? I'm, he's just running. You know, coming out. I just fell to the ground. <laughs> I'll tell you what Rick honestly did. He stopped and he fell on top of me. He buried me into the ground. The whistle blows. You know, stop it, stop it. What are you doing? What are you doing? The coach comes running over there. I mean, screaming, you know, cussing, all this kind of stuff. And I'm laying there, you know, all broken. Yeah, you get him, coach. Tell him how it is. Comes running over of the sideline. And I'm ready for him just to tear Rick to pieces. How dare you jump on top of him? How dare you drive him into the ground? What are you thinking? You're going to hurt him. You're going to damage him. What are you thinking? You know, you know. He didn't say one word to Rick. Didn't say one word. He tore me to pieces. McDonald, what are you thinking? Grabs me by the face guard. Pulls me up there. Run, run, run. Yelling in my face. And I, I, I was like, Coach, what do I, he's going to knock me in the next week, Coach. He's going to knock. That's right. We need you to take it. We need you to take him out so the guy behind you can make the tackle. You've got to take out that lead blocker. That's right, McDonald. Now let's do it again. <laughs> so we get all lined up, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe they'll replace me. No, you know, I come out there hobbling. Okay, you know. Sit down. Hear all this noise. Here he comes. Slow motion. You can see, I can see his face, you know. It's all swollen because they can't get a helmet big enough to fit this kid's head. And it's all, you know. He comes running at me, and I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to take him on, okay. And this time, I hesitated for just a second. I couldn't get on the ground fast enough. I tried to go down, but he hit me and I went flying. Oh, man, it was horrible. Horrible. What a lesson, though, for life. What a lesson. See, I, I didn't get it. There's something bigger than me. Listen, there's something bigger than that game. Don't misunderstand me. It's not about taking the block. That is just representative of a larger picture. I want to call you today to embed your finite life into the eternal plan of God. Because I'm telling you, your life is going to end. You're going to spend, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years here, and then you're done. 
You're done. That's just how it is. You are finite on this earth. The things that you have and hold precious, they're going to rust. They're going to they're just, you know, they, the moths come in and ruin them. They're, they're destroyed. Okay, so people come and steal them. The rust destroys. Jesus said this. The things of this earth, they don't last. We are finite creatures. And the only way we find any kind of meaning, the only way that we find any kind of fit of what the design is for us is we embed our story into the Lord God. Because God is infinite. God has no end. So you take whatever you are, you take whoever you are, you take the life that you have, and you embed it into God's story. And now it has purpose. I didn't understand that at 16. I didn't understand it. But I do now. I do now. And I want to call us to that. I want to see it in the life of Daniel. So go in your Bible with me. We want to look at the book of Daniel. We've been walking through this. If you've been with us, you know that. If you haven't been with us, that's okay. You'll get caught up in about 30 seconds. Daniel now is living in 500 B.C. So he's 2,500 years ago. He is in the country that we would call Babylon. Okay, He is in the Babylon area. And he's not there by choice. He's been brought there as captive. He was tore out of his homeland. He's a Jewish man born in Israel, the nation of Israel had promises made to him by God, but when he was just a teenager, the Babylonians came to town with a war party, destroyed the the Israelites, and took a select few with them back to Babylon to be slaves. And he dies there. 60 to 70 years later. He spends his entire life is not much more than a slave in a foreign land run by foreign people who worship foreign gods. His finite life is coming to an end. He is at the end now in Daniel chapter 9. God is now revealing things to him through dreams and visions. The Lord did that on very select occasions. And when they did, he, we have them recorded in Scripture. Because they teach us things that we need to know. So much of the book of Daniel, was, when it was written, was prophecy. But now when we read it, it's history. And what we learn from this is that God has a larger plan. God has a great, grand plan. And the call is for us to invest our life, to embed our life in God's larger plan. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, I want to read some of it before I explain it. I want to jump in at verse number 16. And what we have here is Daniel's prayer life. This is Daniel on his knees praying. It's as if we now have his prayer journal. And he has written down his prayer. We know from the context of the the world, of the environment that Daniel is in, this is is the kind of prayer that he was praying in Daniel chapter 6 where prayer was now outlawed, and because Daniel prayed, he was taken to that lion's den. Remember that? When Daniel prayed before the open windows, and they came and arrested him, and threw him in the lion's den, and God closed the mouths of the lions, you ever wonder what he was praying? This is it. This is it. 
This is what he prayed on those fateful days, as was his habit, Daniel chapter 6 says. This is the kind of prayer that a man prays who's embedded his life, finite as it is, into the grand plan of God. Oh, I pray that this would be the echo of the heart of Centerpoint Bible Church. That the prayer of Daniel would, would in many ways mirror ours. That when we go to the Lord in, in the intimacy of our relationship and talk to Him at a heart level, that this would be the kind of prayer that we would pray. Verse 16, he writes, he prays, O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Now, where did I tell you he was? Babylon. He is hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. Know that. It'll be important for us today. But he prays that God would turn his wrath from Jerusalem. Your holy hill. Turn it from the wrath because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. The word byword there means a, it means a cut. It means a taunt. It's, it's a bad word to call somebody. They're the very name of Jew, of Israelite, of follower of Yahweh has become a, really a, a word of derision. It's, it's, you are, it's a taunt. Daniel recognizes that. He's heartbroken over it. Verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for your mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. His sanctuary is the place in Jerusalem where the people of God were meant to worship Him. He says it's desolate. It's destroyed. He's brokenhearted by that. Verse 18. Oh my God, he prays, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. In the city that is called by your name, that is Jerusalem. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, Mm-mm. but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. And now his prayer stops. And I want you to see, just for a moment, we'll talk about this later in a sermon in a couple, day, a couple weeks, but I want you to see what happens. Daniel writes in verse 20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight. God answered his prayer in a very unique way. God sent an angel that day. Now this is a unique circumstance, okay? This is a very unique circumstance, and we need to understand that about this passage. All right? I, 
you probably know the angel is very likely not going to come and appear to you at the end of your prayer. We can see that. We can understand. It happens to Daniel. Daniel is praying and God allowed, this, this angel comes before him and he sees this angel. That's probably not going to happen to you. You see, there's a lot of things about Daniel that are like us. There's a lot of things about this book that we share in common with Daniel. But there's some important things for us to understand, some differences, so we can understand this passage. Now, I want to take just a minute and talk about those. I, I want you to understand what's different between us and Daniel so that we can understand this passage because his prayer is significant. But if you aren't careful, now I really need you to hear me right now because there's a lot of false teaching out right now in the American church that is connected to what I'm getting ready to tell you. People misunderstand the Bible because they don't understand what I'm getting ready to tell you in just a few minutes. We have to understand that there are some things about Daniel that are just like us, that are just like us. But there are some things about Daniel that are very, very different. And we need to understand that, okay? So let me, let me just sort of like as you know, a parenthesis leading up to our message today, let me walk through this. First of all, you need to know, this, this would be a really good thing to maybe write down and to remember this, okay? Exodus 19 is a very important passage. Exodus 19, verses 3 and 4, explain that Daniel and the nation of Israel are in a special relationship with God. The nation of Israel now is in a special relationship with God. We call it the Mosaic Covenant, okay? You hear in that word, Mosaic, Moses. This is an agreement that God made through Moses with the nation of Israel, all right? And so there are some things that are true between God and Israel that are not true between America and Israel. I'm sorry, and God. There are some things between God and the nation of Israel in this time now when Daniel's writing this that aren't true about us and God. This is a special relationship. Listen to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. I better turn there. I don't have Exodus 19 memorized for you. Um, Exodus 19, okay? Listen to what it says here. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Listen to what God says. Exodus 19. While Moses went up to, the, up to God, the Lord called out to him from the mountain and said, Thus you shall say, now hear this, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you... Listen. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, Moses, shall speak to the people of Israel. You see, God had a special relationship with the people of Israel. It's called a covenant. It's it's a special kind of covenant. It's a, the word that theologians use, it's called a bilateral covenant. You hear that word bi? What's that mean? Here's a hint. Two, okay? A bilateral covenant. This is how it worked. This was God's relationship with with the nation of Israel. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Here's the covenant. Israel, you obey me and I will bless you. 
That was the relationship that God instituted with the nation of Israel. It's described in Exodus chapter 19 through chapter 24. You obey me, God says, and I will bless you. You disobey me, and I will curse you. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And listen, a lot of your Old Testament is written to people that are under that agreement. They're under that agreement. And here's how it works. If I obey God, if I, if I don't work on the Sabbath, on, when it comes to Saturday, I don't work, then God will bless me. And God will make my fields produce more food. Hmm. If I follow the Ten Commandments, if I honor my parents, if I honor them, then God will give me a long life. Huh. That's a pretty sweet deal, doesn't it? All you got to do is just obey God, and God will bless you. Now, there's a catch. There's a catch on this bilateral agreement. Here's the catch. If you don't obey me, God says, if you don't obey me, I will curse you. I will curse you. Your fields, they won't produce. You will be barren. I will bring people from another country to come and take you captive. The bilateral agreement. Now, you know the danger because you can hear it pretty quick on pretty much any television preacher you want to watch. They will turn to the Old Testament covenant and they will say, see here, if you obey God, then God will bless you. So just obey him. And why don't we choose this one? Give us money. Yeah. And then God will bless you. No. That is the Mosaic covenant. And guess what? Let me just take this thought out of your mind because I know what everybody thinks. People think, you know what? I like that deal. I kind of like that. If God worked that way, we'd probably follow him more. If God would just say, you obey me and I'll bless you, then I probably would follow him. Yeah, that way I'd be a good boy and my business would do well. Oh, I like that. I would be a good boy and my fields would produce a whole bunch. Oh, cool. I'd be a good boy and then the Washington Redskins would win. Well, how'd that play out for Daniel? Hmm. How'd that play out? If you look in 2 Chronicles, why don't you turn here because this is an interesting passage, okay? Go to 2 Chronicles. I wish you guys could see my notes up here. You're probably, what's he turning to? I got all kinds of stuff here and I got to pick it out, okay? 2 Chronicles, go to chapter 36. Go in your Old Testament. Get back here with me. Chapter 36. Notice what happens here. You see, listen to what God had, had really given to the nation of Israel and an opportunity for them to see this Mosaic covenant lived out firsthand. Now listen to this deal. Listen to what God had laid out. Okay? God said, let's do this. All right, nation of Israel, come here. In our bilateral agreement, you obey me, I bless you. You disobey me, I, then I'm going to curse you. This is what we'll do. You go ahead and plant your fields like normal for six years. Work yourself hard for six years now. Take the Sabbath off. 
Don't work on Saturday, but for six days, you work your field for six years. And then when it comes to the seventh, God said, for the whole year, don't plan a thing. Nothing. Don't put a piece of seed in the ground for that whole year. We'll call it a Sabbath year. And during that year, you will see that I will provide for you. Now, I can imagine when the covenant was, when that was explained the first time, if I were there, I'd be like, hmm, I like the sound of that seventh year, you know? I don't have to go to work. I, I don't have to farm. I, I just sit back and, and let the Lord provide. Hey, I like this. And then for six years, I work. You know, about year four, I'm starting to think, man, what's going to happen that seventh year? Year five, I'm getting a little nervous now. Year six, what's going to happen? What would you do? What would you do? So for a whole year, you are going to trust God to give you food. Well, let's see what they did. Okay? Second Chronicles. I want to look at verse, uh, chapter 36. Okay? <clears throat> I feel like I'm in the wrong place. Somebody check. I think it's First Chronicles. Here's what happened. Okay? Here's what happened. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They, the Sabbath year would come, and they didn't do it. They disobeyed God. Everybody's turning their Bible. This is kind of a neat sound. You hear it? They disobeyed God. What had God promised them if they disobeyed Him? What would happen? He would curse them. And so Daniel found in Jeremiah, or in either 1 Chronicles 36 or 2 Chronicles 36, he found that for 70 years, years, they would be captive. Why? Because for 490 years, they did not practice the Sabbath year. 490 years go by, no Sabbath, no Sabbath, no Sabbath, no Sabbath. So God says, fine. You will go into captivity and the land will lie unplanted, unsowed for, for, for the 70 years. It will lie fallow. And so Jerusalem and the Israelites and the nation of Israel is picked up out of, out of Israel and placed in Babylon as slaves. And the land lays there and rests. Not because God needed the land to rest. Because God wanted to teach us a truth. And that's this. You and I, hear me. You and I, we cannot obey God without His help. It's not a matter of, I need to see that if I obey Him, I'm blessed. It's not a matter of those types of things. It's a matter of we are cursed from the consequences of sin. And you and I cannot obey God. You see, here's the truth. Just to wrap up this little difference between us and Daniel. I almost wondered, did God wanted to show us? God said, let's try the prosperity gospel. Let's try it. Let's try it with a whole group of people and see how they do. And guess what they did? 
they failed. See, there are some things about Daniel that are just like us. But this is a major one. Go back to Daniel chapter 9 now. Daniel chapter 9. This is a major one that is not the same. We are no longer under that covenant. We are not in an arrangement where if we obey God, He will bless us. If we disobey Him, He will curse us. That is not the truth. But I want us to see what is the truth about us as we look in Daniel. Okay, So let's go through this quickly and understand about our relationship with God. Go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. Here is prayer. I want you to start out with him looking at the compassion of God. He says in verse 16, O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. I want us to see today that Daniel's petition before the Lord starts out with a plea for his compassion. For his compassion. Notice what he speaks about here. He says, we have sinned, God. He says, your anger and your wrath, it's here. It's in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon, but God's wrath is in Jerusalem. They have turned from God, and He has brought consequences into His life. Now that is the Mosaic Covenant. But it's still equally true of us that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're in a different agreement with God. We're in a different relationship with God than, say, Daniel. But our problem remains the same. The problem of sin is still here. And I want you to notice what the effect of sin is in a God follower. I want us to see now in Daniel what he says, hear me now, the effect of sin in a true God follower. Are you a God follower today? I don't mean you like God. I mean you have put your trust in Jesus and you are following Jesus Look at what the, what the characteristic is of the damage of sin in that person's life. He says, because of our sins and our iniquities and those of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword or a taunt among all who are around us. Do you get what Daniel's praying here? He's praying our lives, the the, the lives of the Israelites who had abandoned God, rather than being a life that points to Christ, brings taunting upon Christ. Your life and my life is meant to be, no, is an advertisement for God. Our lives as followers of Christ, they shine light upon God. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, had so drifted from God and so did not trust Him that they were like a taunt. They were a slam. They were a a word of, of really grief to God. God was embarrassed of their lives, is what this is saying. Listen, we've got to understand something about your life as a follower of Jesus. I hope you're following Christ today. I hope you're in Christ. 
I hope He is your Savior and your Lord. But understand something. There are people that you interact with. I'm going to use a worn-out cliche, but you need to know it's true. There are people that you interact with that the only Bible they're ever going to see is you. You. Now, don't feel bad. There are people that the only Bible they're going to see is me. This is how it works. God has called for us to be salt and light in this world. And so that means we live for Christ in our life. And Jesus has effect on our life. That means that we live, listen to what Peter said it, that we live such good lives among the pagans that they will see our good deeds. And though they may accuse us of wrong, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, we're ambassadors. You and I are like 82nd Airborne troops. And, you know, the giant plane has flown over the United States of America, and the green light came on, and you parachuted onto the field. And now you're here. And you don't shoot a machine gun, no. You live your life as an ambassador for the king. But Daniel has recognized that they are a taunt. Their lives are a curse to God. The follower of Christ, the, the truly redeemed man, the new creature, considers that truth. The new creature, when he or she understands that my life is for the sake of Christ, when they understand that, they repent over sin and they pledge allegiance to God. And that's what Daniel has been doing throughout this prayer. He appealed to the compassion that God has and understood that his life is meant to be a testimony of what a believer in Jesus is like. So you be encouraged now. Okay, we kind of spoke to those that aren't living it. Let me speak to those who are. Because I look out here and I know some of you are living for Christ. I know it. I know it. You share stories or other people share stories about you. And you're living for Jesus in your world. And, the whole, and you're, you're going against stream. I know it. The river is hard going the other way. But you're living for Christ. And you need to know. You be encouraged. God is using you. God is using you. God is using you to show the world around you what God is really like. And God is using you to draw people to Himself. That's how He works. You see, on the day of visitation, when God's Spirit comes and visits them and convicts them of sin and judgment and righteousness, John chapter 16, they will remember your face. They'll remember your testimony. They'll remember your life. And they'll say, you know what? There is validity here. This is truth. I've been searching for truth and I know him. There he is. There she is. What they live for is true. So today, either be encouraged, yeah, 
keep going. Or repent. And say, God, like Daniel, I, come, I, I turn from my sin. And for your sake, I will be a witness by my life in your world. But he doesn't end there, okay? He doesn't end there. And neither will I. Um, verse number 17. He says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to our prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. By the way, catch that. God, do this for your sake. Your name's on the line here, okay? For your sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Now, I told you there's some things about Daniel that are different than us, okay? There's some things about Daniel that are different than us. Here's, here comes another one flying at you, all right? In Daniel's time under the Mosaic Covenant, the sanctuary of God was there in Jerusalem. It was a temple. When the Babylonians came to the temple, they robbed it. They robbed it blind. They took all the gold and they took it back to Babylon. Okay? But what were those gold things there for? And what happened in that temple? Let me tell you about that because that's very important for us to understand what Daniel's prayer is about. You see, that temple there, which was a building that, that had very clear plans given in the Bible, that temple was a place for people to come and worship and meet God. People would come from far, from long distances away and come to the sanctuary where they will meet God. So you, you, were, you, know, you were hundreds of miles away, say in Babylon, and you understood who God was. You understood who the Lord God was and you looked to Him for salvation. You know what you would do? You would go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and you would meet God there. What's Daniel say about the temple? What's it say about the sanctuary? He says it is what? It is desolate. What's that mean? Broken, wiped out, not being used. There is no place where people are being brought to God. There isn't a place there in Jerusalem where people can come to meet God. And Daniel is Heartbroken. Now, it's a little different for us now. It's different for us now. There's no temple in Jerusalem where you go to worship God. That's not how it works anymore. That was the Mosaic Covenant. That was for, that was for Israel and Judah. Exodus 19-24. through Read about it. Somewhere in Chronicles. It's there too. Read about it. Okay? That as well. Yes, that as well. It's also Chronicles, though. So. But thank you. Thank you. Find the other one for me and shout it out. There we go. All right. So, where's the sanctuary now? Where's the sanctuary now? Oh, you say, I got it. It's right here. This is your sanctuary, Lord. We're, here. We're all gathered here to worship. <clears throat> Wrong. Wrong. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says your body is not your own. You see, when you came to Christ, you no longer are captain of your soul. You're no longer boss of your life. No, no, no. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, listen what it says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God. Daniel that day in the room looking out the window praying before he was thrown in the lion's den was heartbroken. You know why? Because the place that people went to meet God was broken and desolate. And it broke his heart. Listen, new creature. Do you know where that place is that people go to meet God now? It's you. It's you. It's us. It's not this room. It's not just this guy. It's you. Go into all the worlds and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul prays in Colossians chapter 4, pray that the doors might be open, that we can proclaim the gospel. You are the sanctuary of God. You are the place that people come to meet God. It is us. God has placed, and it's a perfect plan, is it not? It's a perfect plan. God has dropped us, remember the 82nd Airborne? God has dropped you into this foreign land. And you are now, God doesn't have some sanctuary in Jerusalem on the other side of the planet that you got to try to get to to meet Him. Oh, no, no, no. He did much better. He sent you into the world. He dropped you into this world. He made you a new creature, so He put His Spirit in you. He put the Word of God into your ear, into your head, so now you know it. And all you got to do is tell people about what Jesus has done. You're in your world now as an ambassador. You're in your, you're in your world now as a little sanctuary of God. And people come to you. They come to you, and Peter says, they say to you, why do you have hope? I've been watching you. Why do you have hope? Why aren't you like the rest of us? Why don't you talk this way? Why don't you do these things? Why are you different? And Peter says, don't you dare be unprepared to give them the reason for the hope that is in you. So at that point, you say to them this. Listen, I'm no different than you. I'm no different than you. Like you, I'm a sinner. I have done wrong. Don't make me tell you all the wrong I've done. I'm too embarrassed. I don't even want to tell you. But trust me, I'm a wicked, wicked man. And what you see in me that you think is different is only God working through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came and died in my place for the sins of this world. That's how He showed me His love. Romans 5.8 says it. God demonstrated His love to us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for me. You should write that down. You should memorize that verse. Romans 5.8. It speaks of God's love for us and what Jesus did on the cross. And so you share that to those who are looking for hope. You tell them, I put my trust in Jesus. And they say, no, I just thought you were a good guy. 
You must have good parents, or you must have you know, good genes, or something different about you. No, the only thing different about me is Jesus. I'm telling you, from personal experience, the only thing different about me is Jesus. Want to receive Him? Want to receive Him? And the person will sit there. Tears will well up in their eyes. And they'll say, yeah, but I don't know how. I don't know how. And you'll say, you just pray to God. Tell Him you know you're a sinner. That you believe in what Jesus did. And you receive. You receive His salvation. You pray that prayer, and the Bible says that the angels in heaven celebrate. You are a sanctuary. We no longer lie desolate. Uh Uh-uh. No more desolate sanctuaries. No more desolate sanctuaries. Not in this room. We will rise up as God enables us. We will repent and we will no longer be desolate sanctuaries because new creatures are brokenhearted at desolate sanctuaries. Just ending it now because I'm running out of time. Go to Daniel. Back to Daniel, okay? Daniel 9. It would be awesome if somebody would create some device that you could just press a button and instantly go to that passage. Maybe some of the tech people could do that. Yeah. Daniel chapter 9, look what he says in verses 18 and beyond. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Hear Daniel calling out that God might hear him. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. I hope you know what that means now. I hope you know what he's talking about. Jerusalem, desolate, broken hearted believers, see. When, when sanctuaries are desolate, new creatures are brokenhearted. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. You don't come to God right now. You don't come because of righteousness. If you want to repent now of your desolation, you don't come because of your righteousness. You come because of God's mercy. You see that? This is a unilateral agreement. Mosaic was bilateral. This is unilateral. There's nothing I bring. It's all mercy. It's all mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention. Oh Lord, act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Don't delay God. Passion, mercy, have me, have us, have us. See, there's some things about Daniel that are different. But these things are the same. God still is moved by a repentant man and woman. God still is willing in his grace and mercy to forgive and to restore. God is still willing to do that. He's waiting. He's waiting. He is paying attention. His ears are open. His eyes are open. For His sake, for His sake, He is calling you to Himself. Let's talk to Him together.
Lord Jesus, glorify Yourself. God, for Your sake, shine light upon You through us, Your sanctuaries. God, I want to start out and pray for the one or for the many that need to repent today. Lord, their lives are not reflecting You and today they know it and now they turn from it. God, restore unto them the joy of Your salvation. Lord, for, the, for Your children who are living for You, even in a world that hates You, they're living for You. Encourage them, Lord. Encourage them with Your truth. Use them, Lord. And God, I'm praying this week that You'll give them an opportunity to speak to somebody about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To share You. To share the good news. What we call evangelism, Lord. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. The best that we know how, we'll point them to You. But Lord, our prayer is that this would all be for Your sake. You are our King. You are the God of the world, and we glorify You. Amen.